Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Praise God. Uh, What we're going to do is we're going to look at Romans 15, so you can turn your Bibles to that passage. We're going to look through the whole chapter, verses 1 through 33, and uh, this is the second to last chapter of the book. Some of us are like, thank the Lord. It's been a hard, long book. Others are like, no, I want more, because it's been so good. And and regardless of what we've been going through, I, I hope it's been enriching for us. As, as it's been for me. And we've been going through this whole series called Simple Gospel because what Paul, the author of this book, has been talking about is the gospel, what the gospel is, what it does in our lives, and how it should work out. And if you look at the, the, the chapters that we've been through, this whole subsection called Revolutionaries from Romans 12 all the way through Romans 15, which we're going to talk about today, it's all about, it's all about the outworkings of the gospel. So if we understand the gospel that Paul has been preaching from Romans 1 all the way through Romans 11, now Romans 12 through 15 says, now in light of the gospel, what should your life look like? What should your community look like? What should your church look like? We've been talking about that over the last couple of weeks as as Paul has been saying, and, and I just wanted to remind us of Romans 12 verse 1 to 2 that kicked off this whole section. It says, therefore... I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. How many of us, we, we have that verse remembered, memorized? Okay, you don't. You need to memorize that verse. Why? Because not only is this one of the most pivotal uh, and important verses in Scripture, but because this is something that we're going to go back to even as we look to 50 Days of Freedom in the summer. So turn to your neighbor and say, memorize that verse. Memorize that verse. All right, it's like, memorize that verse. All right, like an obligation. I, I pray we're going to have some joy when, when we are not conformed to this pattern of this world, but we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. We could discern and approve what God's will is. And that's what we want to look at because in this whole section, Romans 12, 13, 14, and now 15, what has he been talking about? He's saying the way that you live should totally be changed. Remember in Romans 12, we talked about your relationships with the church, with other people should be changed. And we talked about Romans 13, your your relationship with authorities should be changed. Your relationship with your neighbors should be changed. Your relationships with the weak. Remember, he had the dynamic between the Jews and the Gentiles, some who were weak. Your your relationship with those who eat certain foods, vegetarians, praise the Lord, should be changed. Your relationship with those who celebrate certain special days should be changed. Everything changes when we understand the gospel. And, And... And this is the question as we look at chapter 15. What is at stake here? What's at stake as he concludes this section is what does the church look like? What is your understanding of what the church looks like? He's been giving us a whole laundry list of things that change when we understand the gospel. But my fear is that some of us, we think of this whole change as just another list of things that we ought to do. Good things that we ought to do as Christians. Okay, we got to love our neighbors. 
We gotta, we gotta appreciate vegetarians. Vegetarians gotta appreciate the rest of us who eat meat. I don't know why that's so funny. You guys love vegetarians or something like that? Beyond Meat, I don't know. I've tried it, and it's pretty good. You guys should try it out. I, I got I to gotta respect other people. I got to care for others just because God told me so. But the, if, if that's our conclusion, we, we're missing the point. Our view of church, our view of this community has to be transformed into God's view of this community. And I think that's what Paul does. He says, I've given you a laundry list of stuff. And in chapter 15, what I'm going to do is I'm going to remind you of why we do all these things in the first place. Because your view of church community, your, your view of change relationships will transform how you live your Christian life. Because so many of us, we have all sorts of different views of what church community looks like. Some of us, on the one hand, we see church community as like a nice social club. Nothing wrong with having great friendships, great relationships. But if your only view of church relationships is a nice social club, you can make friends, you can network, you can find other people, city ministry and industries that you want to get into so you can connect with them and find a job. You're missing the point. Some of us, we see church community as a, 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 a classroom where we learn theology and doctrine, which again is not bad necessarily in and of itself, but that's not the point. And some of us, we just think churches, you know, just, just to have fun, just to listen to someone. I don't know why you would ever want to do that, listen to someone talk to you like every Sunday for an hour. You, you already have, students, you already have lectures where t- professors do that. Working adults, you already have bosses that lecture you when you know, things don't go well on your team. I'm like, why would, you, why would you want to see church that way? doesn't make sense. But I want to believe that we have to see church and community as a place where people get transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's believe that that's what church is about, where we get transformed. And as we get transformed by the love of Jesus Christ, then what? We invite other people to experience that same transformation. And that's why if there's one thing I want you to remember for this morning is that the way we love others must be transformed by the way that Christ has loved us so that others will love God. That's what community, that's what church is about. The way we love others must be transformed by the way Christ has loved us so that others will love God. And if we can experience that here in HMCC of Hong Kong, then praise the Lord, we're going to have an amazing opportunity and experience. It's going to be beyond a social club. It's going to be beyond, be beyond a, a lecture. It's going to be beyond just sitting there in the seats looking at someone speak to you for an hour. It's going to be a transformed experience, and that's what we want to dig into as we look into Romans 15. I want to read verse 1 to 13, and then I'll explain what the points are going to be for this morning. Uh, if you didn't already, download the Lab. You can follow along with the sermon notes, or your life food leader should have sent that to you. So I'm going to read verses 1 to 13. Here we go. We, who are strong, have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. 
May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accordance with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy, and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Now, that's a mouthful. I know it's a little bit of a longer passage, and this is a long chapter. But let's, I want to unpackage it and give us a couple things that we ought to look at. The first thing I want us to see is that there are three verses dedicated in these 13 verses, three of them that are dedicated to what we ought to do. What we ought to do, verse 1, verse 2, verse 7. Read it together in the yellow. We who are strong have an obligation to what? To bear with the failings of the weak. So referring back to last chapter, chapter 14, where we're supposed to esteem one another. Remember that? You know, those, those different days, uh, the, the sacrifices, the meat, all that kind of stuff. We are to bear with one another. We are supposed to accommodate for one another make ourselves less important, make others more important than us. So that's what we ought to do. In verse 2, let each of us what? Please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. And you're like, oh shoot, am I supposed to please people now? I thought we weren't supposed to please people. Now Paul is saying we ought to please people. And he's not talking about the please people that you're thinking about, not the Asian like pleasing people out of saving face and trying to cover your tracks. No, when he says pleasing people, he's saying uh, uh, upholding them, respecting them, giving them dignity, a very selfless form of pleasing others. Not for yourself, not to cover your face, but to respect and to uphold and to give dignity to others. That's, how, that's what we ought to do to please our neighbor. And then verse 7, it says what? Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has... Let's do it again, all right? Let's, speak, let's say it together. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So we are to welcome one another into our homes, into our communities, into our friendships, into different contexts that we have. Why? Because we love other people more than we love ourselves. Now, now that's what. But how many of us we know what is almost never important, more important than why? Because we talked about, we've been talking about what for the last three or four chapters, 12, 13, 14, of all about what you should do. You must love other people. You must uphold them more than yourself. You must think of other people, meat given to idols, special days, all these other things. You're supposed to think of others rather than yourself. But along the process, I wonder, some of us, we've forgotten why we're doing this in the first place. And Paul, what he does, the other 10 verses, he spends dedicating to why we must do these things. And I think this why is so important for us because if we do not understand the why, then we will not experience the transformative love of Jesus Christ. 
And we will not be able to invite other people into that transformative love either. So why? Remember, we talked about how the way we love others must be transformed by the way Christ has loved us so that others will love God. And so the first reason why is that the way we love others has to be out of what we've seen Christ done. So, so the way we love others, the, the way we love others, the manner, the method, the, the, the response has to be out of what Christ has done for us first. Now, now this is, uh, some of us, we're motivated by different things. I, I, some of us are motivated by, you know, bonuses, right? Working adults, you're like, man, I, if I can get that bonus, like, I'm so, I'm going to work extra hard. I'm going to OT. Some of us are motivated by our GPA. Man, if I can only get that 4.0, you know, like, oh, 4.0, 3. Just give me 3.2, Lord, please. <laughs> then I'm going to do whatever I can. But many of us, we're not motivated by the bonus. We're motivated by the what? The consequence. The stick. You're like, oh, if I could only be convinced that how bad this is going to be, then that's going to drive me to do something different. And that's what Paul does in the beginning. Paul is pretty much saying we have a moral obligation to inspect, to understand the way that we love others must be as the way that Christ has loved us. Why? Why does he say that? It's verse 2 to 3. I'm not going to read it again. But remember, he says, let us please one another for what? Christ did not please himself. So he's saying, look, Christ did not please himself. If he did not please himself, what did he do? He pleased others. And he quotes the Old Testament by saying the reproaches that were, uh, uh, reproaches of those who approached you fell on me. So those who have hurt you, abused you, insulted you, I have, what, compensated for that. I've pleased you. I've served you. I've restored dignity to you so that you could also follow in my footsteps. So that you could also, what, please others. So there's this theme, Paul, what, sorry, not Paul, Jesus, Jesus pleases others outside of himself, so what, we might follow in his example. He does the same thing in verse 7. You notice a trend here. Anytime there's repetition, you have to be very uh, careful to look at that and say, God, what are you saying? He does the same thing in verse 7. He said, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has what? Welcomed you. So what did Christ do? Christ Welcome you. So therefore, what do you ought to do? Welcome others. The way that you love others should be, should mirror, should imitate what Christ has done for you. Now, why, why is this the stick? Why is this uh, the consequence? Why? Because if you do not love others as Christ has loved you, what are you? You are a hypocrite. You are a giant hypocrite. You are morally obligated to love others as Christ has loved you. Why? Because Christ has loved us. Because Christ has done that first. Christ has poured out his whole life for us. I don't know if some of you know the parable of the unforgiving servant. There was a, there was a story that Jesus told his disciples, and he was telling them because they were asking him, Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive my brother or my sister? How many times, right? Because, man, they've they wronged me so many times and they did all these things against me. And Jesus says, seven times seven, 77 times. And then he goes on to tell the story of the unforgiving servant. 
And, he, and this parable is where there was this king, and there was this servant that owed this king, it was, it was an enormous amount of money, like 10 million Hong Kong dollars or something like that. And the, the servant was like, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I, I will pay you back as much as I can, but please forgive me. And so what does the king do? Out of the generosity of his heart, he forgives that servant. And lo, lo and behold, that servant, that first servant who was forgiven, finds another servant, servant B. And servant B owes him like 100 Hong Kong dollars. Let's just say 50. It's like two bubble tea. And he's like, you owe me two bubble tea. Pay it back right now. Give me my milk shot, whatever, you know, 10 ren. No, I want my milk shot because that's better, you know. I don't know what, what your competition for bubble tea is, but give me my milk shot. I've been drinking, some people around me have been drinking too much bubble tea recently. That's why my, it's on my mind. He said, give me my, you know, 50 Hong Kong dollars. And what does servant A do? He says, no, because you can't pay me back, I'm going to throw you to jail. He is the unforgiving servant. You know what the king does to servant A? He says, you wicked servant. And we'll read it for us, Matthew 18, 32 to 34. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. Everyone say, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he could pay all his debts. How many of us, we've forgotten how much we owe God and how much God has forgiven us, which should then motivate us to love and forgive other people. And if you play it back the opposite way, maybe the reason why we don't love and forgive other people, the way that we love others, maybe the reason why it doesn't imitate Christ is because we don't think that we were forgiven, which means we probably forgot how much that we didn't deserve God's love and his grace. Does that make sense? You just follow it back, the logic. And, and I, I was just thinking, happy Mother's Day, by the way. How many of you appreciate your mothers? Okay, I see, you know, most people nodding their heads, yeah. Every, well, yeah. We all appreciate our mothers. How many of you appreciate your mothers as much as uh, a mother who has given birth recently? What, what I mean by that is, is you don't appreciate your mothers or your parents until you go through, you've experienced what they've experienced. So recently, uh, I had a kid about nine months ago. Well, Erica had a child. <laughs> I didn't have the child. <laughs> I should not say that. And uh, there's multiple layers to this. I, I, it was it, like that first month was excruciatingly hard. Like waking up. I mean, she did most of the waking up, but even the, the amount of time that I stayed up and I had to wake up and do my shift, it was, hard. It was so hard. We, we even had a helper that helped us for like a couple hours during the day to you know, do feedings and stuff like that. But still, it was so hard. And after that first month, the helper left, and then it became harder. And then Erica went back to work, and I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing right now. And then after each of those moments, I just messaged my parents. I'm like, I am, I, I, I am so thankful for what you did for me. I am so indebted to what you have done for me because 
it is only now that I fully understand the pain and the suffering and the challenge that you've gone through. And not to mention, the reason why I mentioned Mother's Day is I have no idea what women go through in labor. And can you imagine what all of your moms probably understood from your grandmothers, what they went through when they gave birth to a child? They're probably like, Lord, thank you, Jesus, for my mom. <laughs> for going through the stuff that I went through, now that as a mom, you experience it, some of you covenant women, amen? <laughs> all right. We got, we got some covenant men saying amen. I don't know if that's uh, legit. Where are the covenant women, amen? Amen, all right. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jeffrey. We have, we have no idea. We have no idea. We have no idea what kind of pain that they went through. But, but I'm telling you, their appreciation of their mothers is a million times what my appreciation of my mother is. Why? Because they understand. They've gone through it. They understand the pain and the suffering and the difficulty that they've gone through now that their mothers have gone through. And the question is, how many of us we understand? Or we understand or we know the pain and the suffering and the difficulty and all the stuff that Jesus Christ had to go through for our sake. He went through pains of childbirth. He uses that metaphor. On the cross. And maybe, just maybe, the reason why we don't love others is because we don't appreciate it. We're entitled. We think that we're deserving of God's love. And that makes us what? A hypocrite. A massive, massive hypocrite. Because we are morally, now morally obligated to love others. Why? Because Christ has loved us first. I like what John Henry Newman, just a really short quote. This is what he says. He says, how can we understand forgiveness if we haven't recognized the depth of our sin? We can't. It's a rhetorical question. How can we understand forgiveness if we haven't recognized the depth of our sin? And we can't. And my prayer, remember Romans, all, all what Paul has been talking about, Romans 1 and 2, talking about how we are all sinful in Romans 3, all have sinned, all are alike, under sin. We, we have done nothing to deserve God's grace, but he has given it to us freely. We have to recognize the depth of our sin. And when we do, that is the gospel. And someone is like, Pastor, I thought you, we're not supposed to live according to moral obligation. We are when we understand the gospel. When we understand how broken and unfaithful we are, when God's grace pours out over us, it's like this, like we're, we're like in this, and I, I really don't like Hong Kong summer, when we walk outside, you start drenched in sweat. You're, it is like this bucket of cold, icy water that just pours over you, and you're like, wow, God's grace is so amazing. And you're refreshed. And it makes you want to take that bucket of cold, icy water, pour it on as many people as you possibly can. Why? Because you have an unlimited source. You have an unlimited source of God's love. I pray that our church, the way we love others, would be marked by the way Christ has loved us. The way that you love your roommate, the way that you love your life group member, the way that now we're going to have new summer life groups. What are you going to do? Many of us. Yeah, love. Yes, amen. <laughs> but many of us who've been around for some time, what do we do? Oh, another life group. Oh, new people I have to get to know. Oh, but I like my previous life group. I don't want to let go of the, I don't want to meet new people. 
You're missing the gospel. You've experienced love not so that you could just hoard it to yourself and you could just have your nice social community. You experienced love and community through the gospel so what? You could share it with someone new. That's how Christianity works. And I pray that you would not go into this summer life group thinking that, oh, it's not for me. I don't know these people and I don't know if I can get along with them. It's not about you. It's about what love that you can share with other people because of what you've experienced. Amen? And one more thing, I just want to address city, I love city ministry. I love city ministry. I just have a special heart for you, all of us, myself included. You know what's happening next Sunday? What, what's happening next Sunday, city ministry? <laughs> offering? Did I hear offering? <laughs> yes, offering. Tithing and offering should be happening next Sunday, every Sunday. Amen. The grad welcoming event. <laughs> now let me ask you, how many of you who are working in city ministry, you were once a student? <laughs> that should be most of us, unless you went through high school and then you just started working immediately. And, and if that's you, then praise the Lord. We, you know, we're so thankful that you're here. But you were a student at some point too. You were in high school. And you know how hard that transition was when you went from a student to working life. You know how much it would have been difficult or how, how, how amazing it would have been if someone were to walk you through, oh, this is how you budget. This is how you do interviews. This is how you write a resume. This is how you communicate. This is how you communicate with your boss. This is how you relate to your colleagues. This is how you talk to your colleagues so that you can share your faith with them. This is how you uh, proactively communicate so that when you have things like life group or other commitments that you have, that you're able to somehow talk with your boss so you can still be faithful to the things that God's called you to. And I want to challenge us, those of our city ministry. I heard there's, you know, a handful signed up to welcome the grad. I don't want to discourage those who are graduates. We're, a city, we're excited to welcome you. <laughs> but I want to challenge us. How many of us, as a part of city ministry, that we remember what it's like? We remember the difficulties that we went through. And out of that, we're saying, Lord, you've given me so much grace through people and community, other people that helped me through that transition journey, now I want to also help someone else who's in my shoes. Graduates, I think this is going to be the best city welcoming event ever. <laughs> I'm excited. So it's the way that we are loved. The way that we love is one of the reasons, and also the second reason I want to look at is how we are transformed by Christ's love. So the way that we love others must be transformed by Christ's Love. So we, we start with a stick. Paul's like, those of you who are, you know, undeserving and entitled, you know, repent. Look at the consequence. Don't be a hypocrite. But he also gives you the carrot. Let's look at the carrot. In these 13 verses, in order to understand how we are transformed by Christ's love, we have to realize there's an incentive for us. There's, there's something that's not only, you know, it's the stick where, where, where it's saying, if you don't do this, then you're going to get punished, or this is your sin. 
But also there's an incentive, there's a carrot, there's something good that's going to happen if you experience Christ's love and you share it with other people, you love other people. What is that carrot? If you look in these 13 verses, again, repetition is key. The word written happens three times all throughout these couple verses. The word written happens three times in these 13 verses. In verse 4, Paul explains why things written are so important. I want to read that verse 4 again for, and then read together in the yellow. For whatever was written in the former days was written what? For our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures we might have hope. It was written for our instruction. What, what does that mean? In the New Living Translation, such things were written in scripture long ago to what? To teach us. To teach us. Because we are... We need to learn because we are not wise enough. We are not mature enough. We are not developed enough in our Christian faith. So what? He's saying scriptures are here to teach us so that what? And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. New King James Version. So for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures we might have hope. So we can learn. Well, we are lifelong learners. We are lifelong disciples of Christ. The more we learn about Christ, not just head knowledge, but learn his lifestyle, the more hope that we have, the more joy that we have, the more patience that we have, the more comfort that we have. Many of us, we think comfort happens in, by my material things or, or by more money or by a higher salary. How many of you know you get a promotion, you get like, uh, you're, you're happier for like a couple months. And then what happens after that? You're like, oh, I need another promotion. And that other promotion better be bigger and higher than the pre previous promotion you got. Because if it's not, you're going to be what? Unhappy. How come I just got this? This is the same as what I got last time. This, you know, this is wickedness of the human heart. And you know what it sounds like? It sounds like a drug addict. Because what, what, what do drug addicts do? They get a hit of something... And what does the next hit need to be? Stronger and higher than the previous dosage. And I'm sorry to use a, a little bit of a crude language because I know addiction is not something that we should joke about because it's serious and it's difficult and it's challenging. But what I'm trying to say is addiction is not merely a chemical drug type of thing. There are so many other addictions in this world that tell us if we can only have that, then you'll be happy. But man, all those things are going to leave you feeling unsatisfied and hopeless. That's why we got to keep learning. It's for our good that Jesus is writing these things. Paul is writing these things. I'm going to read the last one. The message, even if what was written in Scripture long ago, you can be sure what? It's written for us. Say it again. It's written for us. It's for us. And how many, okay, don't raise your hand. How many of you are sick of when Pastor Bo is doing announcements and he's saying during the offering, uh, we, we are offering and giving. It's not from you that we want something, but it's for you, okay? Don't raise your hand. I know all of us are sick of it, but it's true. And the problem is we don't believe that obedience to Scripture is good for us. So many of us, we look at our Christian lives and we think, oh, I got to obey all these rules. I got to do all these things for Christ because what? Because I'm obligated, because I have to, and because this is what a good Christian does. 
But you forget the whole reason why Christ wrote, wrote these things for us is for our good, for our benefit, because he knows what life is about. He's lived it better than any of us have ever lived it. He's saying, if you obey me, remember in the gospel he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is that yoke? What is that burden? It's his way of living. He's saying, if you live the way I live, if you value the things that I value, then your life is going to be so different. Burden, easy, light. How many of us, we want that? And what does he say in, the, in, in this passage? He's saying, if you obey scripture, what these things were written for long ago, way before you were born, way before Christ even came to this earth, he's saying these things were written long ago for what? For teaching us, for our learning, so that we could experience something. And what does he say those things are that we can experience? Hope, encouragement, patience, and comfort. How many of us, we want those things? You want hope. You want encouragement. You want comfort. You want joy. How many of us, we know that it's through living in obedience to Christ and what his word is the only way you're going to experience that? Scripture is written so that we can learn and be changed so that we can experience those things. I, I want to ask us, again, you don't have to raise your hands for this. Don't, don't embarrass yourself. How many of us, we've written, uh, read a lot of self-help books? <laughs> okay, you just embarrass yourself by laughing. <laughs> I, I've read a good amount. Because I, I love business books, I love leadership books, I love you know, books that really make you think and really help you to develop as a person. And, and the reason why I, li I like a lot of them is because a lot of them take biblical principles and help you see where they are in the real world. And you're like, whoa, it, it convinces you that much more. This is something I should live out to. And, and I, I don't know if some of you have known some of these books. I think I, we have a couple of them here. Atomic Habits. This is, I really love this book because it's all about like micro habits that you develop that can really change. And he says something about like, you are who, uh, you're, like, you're the sum of your habits. That's essentially what his, his whole philosophy is. So if you can adjust your habits, then somehow it could transform your life. This is so interesting, right? It's like all these books promise something. Transformation, change, hope, heal, healing, joy. This next book, I don't know if some of you read it. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. A lot of people rave about this book. They're like, it's written from a Christian perspective. You know the author is Mormon. I don't know if you knew that. He's actually Mormon. But a lot of principles are biblical. Okay? Uh, I don't know if I, this is a little bit older. How to win friends and influence people. Anyone want to, you know, get a promotion, network well, climb the corporate ladder, read this book. It'll teach you some great tips, like smile. Like literally, one of the chapters... <laughs> Okay, hospitality team, amen, yes. All right, it doesn't come naturally. I know some of us, we have that resting, you know, RBF. <laughs> if you want friends, you want to influence people, you got to smile. Like literally, there's a chapter in that book that says it's just called smile. Because you'd be surprised at how many people don't do that naturally. Again, it, it, what does it promise you? It promises you a better life. There's a couple more, just two more. Five love languages. I, I don't know, did anyone know that there's a book on this? Because so many of us, we use this in our daily language, right? We're like, oh, what are, what's your love language? Oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm like giving, I'm serving, oh, I'm time. And 
And you don't realize it came from a book. But we use it every day, and we think that somehow five lovely is going to transform the way that we love one another. Only if it's biblical. And the last one, rich dad, poor dad. <laughs> the only reason why I know this book is because my dad <laughs> was reading this, and he said, you should read this too. Right? And that's how you can get wealthy and famous. I, I don't know how many of us we read these books, and we're like so inspired, and you're like, oh, you know, I'm going to change. And then what hands up? You, you, you read that book, and for the first month, I mean, if you're good, you get two or three months. Realistically, it's like after that week, once you're done with the book, you, you're on a streak, and then what happens? You totally forget everything that the book said. It doesn't really integrate into your life. It didn't transform your life. How many of us we know? These books, these self-help books, what do they do? They change your behavior. But what does scripture do? It changes your heart. It changes your motive. It changes your purpose. It changes your desire. It convicts you of sin so that you can experience the love and the grace of God so that what? You could be motivated to love others. Verse 13 in the New Living Translation, he says this. Right after he gives all the it is written statements, he says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will what? Fill you completely with what? Joy and peace because what? You trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that that would, that would characterize all of us. But it's only going to characterize us if, if what? If we live in obedience to Scripture. Because it's only Scripture that's going to transform your life. Those self-help books are not going to transform your life. Scripture is going to transform your life. Scripture is going to transform your life by and through Christ's love so that what? You can love other people. And when you do that, you're going to realize you're going to experience a love, a hope, a joy, and a peace. I mean, I, I wanted to share this a little bit longer, but I mean, I'll just kind of summarize it. I, I personally, I mean, I, I was someone, and even to this day, I don't feel like I naturally normally hold grudges, but I had a huge grudge at one of my roommates in university. And it was because I was struggling. I didn't, he was also Christian. We went to the same church. I felt like he didn't care. We had this incident where I asked him if he wanted to have dinner. He said, no, he's not hungry. So I went to dinner to a canteen. And then later on, as I'm leaving the canteen, he was lined up with like 10 of our friends, you know, going, and I was so pissed. And I held this grudge against him. I wrote him a note apologizing for the way I reacted. He didn't respond to that note. He didn't say anything. So I was so bitter at him. I was like, well, who the heck is this guy? Does he call himself a Christian? And then... I was convicted by the Holy Spirit at a prayer gathering we had. He was also at that prayer gathering. He said, you need to reconcile with this guy. So we reconciled. And I, I was doing it out of obligation because I said, okay, I got to be a good Christian. I got to, you know, ask for forgiveness. I got to forgive. But lo and behold, after that time, there was this sense of joy and peace and restoration when I was actually able to love my brother. And long story short, he's my best friend now. He's a, actually a pastor in HMCC in Detroit. Just had another, he had his own kid. Now he understands the pain that I'm going through. And I'm like, ha now you see what I went through, right? But I mean, long story short, I, I just want to challenge and encourage us that maybe, just maybe, the reason why we are not experiencing the hope and the joy and the peace and the comfort that we want is because we're looking for it in all the wrong places. We're trying to find it 
in our workplace, we're trying to find it in our relationships, we're trying to find it by self-improvement, when realistically, what is God saying? God is saying, you need to find it through Scripture, by Scripture's power to transform you to love other people, and that's where you're going to find all these things. Amen? There's two last reasons that Paul gives that I want to go over really quickly. So remember, the way that we love one another must be transformed by the way Christ loved us so that others will love God. So that others will love God. This is the big picture. So when we're pulling out, so Paul gave the stick, he gave the carrot, and he's saying, but the problem is you can make it all about you if it's all about the stick and the carrot. He's saying, pull out. Look at the big picture. The whole big picture is what? So that others will love God and praise God and give God glory. I'm not, again, not going to read the whole passage again. Verse 5, he says we ought to, you know, live together in harmony, loving one another. And then in verse 6, 7, 8, and 9, he gives you the purpose. He says, hold up. It's not about you. It's about my glory. Verse 6, what does he say? So that, uh, verse 6, so, you, one, so that together you may with one vo- voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 7, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. What? For the glory of God. And then in verse 9, he did all these things in order that the Gentiles may what? Glorify God. We read this thing and we think, oh, it's all about me. It's about what I got to do and what I can't do. It's about my motivation. You missed the point. It's not about you. It's about God's glory. And it's about other people giving God glory. There's a lot of references to the Old Testament about the Gentiles glorifying God. I mean, if I were to summarize it, it's about Gentiles glorifying God. Okay, that's all you need to know. It comes from Psalm 18, Deuteronomy 32, Psalm 117, Isaiah 110. And I'm just going to just kind of skim over that. And he repeats it four times. Why? Because he's saying it's about God's glory. It's about more and more people and Gentiles. You're like, who are the Gentiles? You're a Gentile, unless you're Jewish, okay? Do we have anyone who's Jewish here? No, okay, you're all Gentiles. We're all Gentiles. So the Gentiles is just this capture-all term for anyone who's not Jewish. So he's saying the whole point of loving one another is so that everyone else who's not Jewish, because the Jewish people already know God, so that everyone else will know and praise and give glory to God. That's why you love one another. That's why you do the things that you do. God gets glory when we love one another in such a different way than what we understand ourselves. Remember Acts 2, 42 to 47. Some of you, that's another verse you got to memorize. You go through it every beginning of life group cycle. You should know it by now. Those of you who have been part of our ministry. You know that Acts 42 to 47 is what? Describes the early church. And if you look at Acts 47, what does it say? They were what? Praising God. Say it together. They were what? Praising God. And as they were praising God, what was happening? Having favor with all the people and what? The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When you glorify God, when you make it not about yourselves, when you love, remember the first couple verses, 42, 43, 45, 45, 46, It was all about how they were devoted to one another, to the apostles' teaching. They were selling their possessions. They were meeting together. They were giving to the poor. They were embodying a selfless, loving community that Paul's talking about. And when that happens, what happens? As they're praising God, 
Then they, what? Get all the favor of the people, and more people are added to their number. More people praise and worship God. How many of you know that when you desire and you glorify God more than anything else and you love people through it, more people are going to experience Christ? When your life group goes well and people are experiencing Christ, what's going to happen? More people are going to want to experience that. But on the flip side, when you're selfish, when when you do everything for yourself, when you take everything for yourself, what's going to happen? People are going to come in and be like, what is this social club? What is this classroom teaching? What is this hangout for the insiders, the, the, the exclusivity group? They're not going to experience that. They're not going to want to experience that. But when you are embodying a loving and a caring community, and I'm believing that by faith this summer, we're going to experience that, 50 Days of Freedom. That the more we experience freedom together, the more others are going to want, to want in on some of that. And, and this is a quote that I wanted to, to refer to. John Piper, I mean, he, he posed, this is his mantra. He says, God is most glorified in you when you're most satisfied in him. That when you are most satisfied in him, through loving others, through experiencing God's love, God is going to be magnified, glorified. I'm doing the John Piper glorified, you know. then more people will what? Want to glorify God too. And man, I was so encouraged by all the testimonies of baptism and grad recognition. Can we give God a praise for that? Like, those are some incredible testimonies of life transformation. And every single time, you know, you're constantly hearing some things like, I, you know, I, I wasn't really into Christianity, but then I met this community. I wasn't really looking for a church, but then these people like swarmed me. And I experienced something. And I didn't really have a good experience with Christianity growing up, and it was kind of all these rules, but this, this group was totally different by the way they lived it out. It's when you hear those testimonies, you're like, wow, God is up to something. God is up to something. He's doing something. That was my story. And that was many of your stories. And I pray that we would carry on that story so that more and more people can experience the gospel and glorify God. And my challenge to you is there's so many opportunities to do that. What's coming up? Ignite. Go. (laughs) You're going to have a wonderful opportunity to gain the heart of God, to share the gospel with all people, all nations, all peoples in this city, all peoples overseas. Yeah, sign up right there. (laughs) Supplemental messaging. And what's going to happen in August? Operation Campus and City Reach. Uh, an incredible, I mean, it's just, you, it's those of you who, I mean, if you were not here for the grad recognition, you missed out on the video. Man, the animation with the little fish, the salmon, was so cool. And I loved it when, like, the little fish was kind of coming to university on their own, and then they met two other fish that had OCR on it. And it was, like, wonderful. I was like, wow, that's, that's so encouraging because so many of us, the reason why we even got plugged into this community because there are a couple people and a group of people who were willing enough to sacrifice a week coming back early for their school semester to say, I want to love on other people. And those of you who are in city, you're like, what semester? I don't have a semester. You have a season of work, quarters, and you know people come in all the time. And if there could be a dedicated time 
that we as a whole church, we're welcoming people. What better time to do it together than we do it together in August? Not that you can't invite people. Of course, we all, we're always inviting people, but there's a dedicated time to really reach out and to welcome people in. Let's, let's do that together. I want to finish out with this last part, and I know it's a little bit longer of the, the passage, but many of us, we're like, okay, Pastor Bo, I understand that the way that we love others should be transformed by Christ's love for us so that we could glorify others. Sorry, so we can glorify God so that others can glorify and love God. But, man, that's so hard. It's so impossible. I, I just don't know if I could do it. I don't know if any human could do it. It's impo- Jesus can do it, but he was, he was fully God and fully human. But I, I want to challenge us. I think the last several verses that Paul writes, he writes this as the closing to the letter, but he writes this also as his own example of what someone who's experienced that good news can look forward to. I'm just going to close with this section, verses 14 to 20 in chapter 15. And then, again, there's going to be sections in yellow. I actually want you to read this together with me in this section. It says, I myself, and this is Paul speaking, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the Grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the sea fell down, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Wow. Amen. What is Paul saying? Paul references to God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit ten times in six verses. Ten times. He refers to Christ and God more than you say Father God in your prayers. (laughs) And, And he doesn't do it just as filler. He does it because he's saying Christ is everything. And when Christ is everything, then your life is going to be changed. And it's actually possible to live this transformed life, that the way that you love others is transformed by the love of Christ so that others can love God. When you put Christ in the center of your life, then something crazy happens. And I'll just list out four things that happens for Paul. First thing is he's bold for Christ. There were some critics in Corinthian church that were saying, Paul, Paul, you're weak. You're meek. And we're like, what are you talking about? Paul is such a bold person. But he was not a bold person. He was a meek person. But he is bold for Christ. He has been transformed so that what? He can love others. He can love the church. What else? He is a minister of Christ to the Gentiles. Was Paul a Jew or a Gentile? Not a rhetorical question. Jew. What was his heart for? The Jews. But what was he a minister to? The Gentiles. He loved people that were different than him. 
completely different than him, didn't deserve any of his love, all of the hardships he went through for the sake of people he didn't even know. Third, he was proud of his work for God. He, he had every reason to be ashamed of what he did against God. What did he do? He killed people. He, he killed people in the church. He killed Christians. He dragged them off. He threw them in jail. But God transformed him so that what? His work could be for Jesus Christ, for other people. And then lastly, what? He had a new purpose. He wasn't related, he wasn't relating to people. He wasn't writing this, this, this letter to the Romans to say, oh, I, I need whatever for myself, but I need from you for what? For other people. I have a new purpose. Like many of us, this is the hard part, is when we look at Paul's example, most of us are like, I could never be like Paul. But in reality, you are just like Paul, the old Paul, the Saul. Weak, meek, afraid, sinful, attacking others, selfish, purposeless. That was Paul. But Paul has been transformed by the gospel. That is his example. And I'm not going to read the last verses uh, in 21 to 33. But pretty much what Paul does is he invites now the church in Rome to join him. He's saying, now I want you to give toward my missionary work so I can go to Spain. I want you to pray for me so that the gospel can be preached. I want you to participate in the same love that I've experienced through Christ so they can love others and so that more people can experience Christ. I'm inviting you to that. And he's not just inviting the church in Rome. He's inviting you. He's inviting us. HMCZ of Hong Kong to participate in that love so that more people can experience that love. I want to leave us with this quote in this verse from Charles Stanley. He wrote this. He said, When you become consumed by God's call on your life, everything will take on new meaning and significance. You will begin to see every facet of your life, including your pain, as a means through which God can work to bring others to himself. What you go through the hardship it takes, the challenges it takes to love people who are different from you. Maybe, just maybe, that's exactly what God is trying to go, make you go through so that you could love other people and so God could bring others to himself. And don't just take Charles Stanley's word for it. This is from Scripture, and I want to close with this verse, John 13, verse 30, 40, 35. What does Jesus say to his disciples? He says, a new commandment I give you. You should also memorize this that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Church, do we have love for one another? Such great love in this community that the way that we love others has been transformed by the way that Christ has loved us. So that what? so that others will love God. I'm praying that that would be what marks us as a church and as a community. I want to give us some quick next steps for us to think through and hopefully apply as we look throughout this coming week. The first is just remember what Christ did first. He did something first. And remember, if we don't recognize what he's done for us and internalize that, then we are hypocrites. So remember what he's done first. And, and sorry, I forgot to mention, I, I wanted to give these next steps in the perspective of anytime you find it's hard to love someone, 
These are four things that you can just do mentally, really quickly, that can help you to learn to love someone. And I know, students, you're in exam season. This is like the time that you want to focus on yourself more than anything else. Like, who cares about other people? But if your friend, your classmate, your life remember, you realize they're struggling, you're like, yeah, I don't want to love them. Think of these four things. Working adults, families, life is busier than ever before. As things are opening, you're going back to work and you're losing like an hour or two hours of commute time. And it's going to be that much more easy to be like, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to love that person. Oh, man, my boss. I was so thankful I didn't have to talk to them in the office. Work from home was so great. I didn't have to deal with all the office politics and all this kind of stuff. But maybe God is saying, love one another. Love your colleagues. Love your boss. Love your life remembers. Here are four things that you can just keep in mind. So remember what Christ did first. In your mind, you're, as soon as you're like, oh, I don't want to love, remember, what did Christ do for you first? Secondly, recognize what hope God will provide. I know this sounds a little bit vague, but what happens when you love other people? You experience a greater hope and joy because what? You're being transformed. You're being changed. And when, when we are changed, what do we feel? We feel hopeful. We're like, wow, God is working. God is in my life. He's, he's doing something. So look back and see how God has transformed you before and let that hope drive you to be like, God, this is not only something you want from me, but it's something you want for me, to transform me, to give me hope. Thirdly, is to refocus on God's glory. Remember, the reason why you're loving people is not just for yourself. That There's a possibility that the love that you show with that other person could be a chain in the link or a link in the chain so that that person can come to know Christ. Like, what if next year I told you that by you loving that person, they will be sitting in these seats or they will be giving a testimony for their baptism? Would that motivate you? Would that burden you to love and share that love with other people? Refocus on God's glory. It's about God's glory and people glorifying God. And lastly, it's just recommit to loving others. As soon as you think of those three things, then say, okay, God, help me to love people. I can't do this by myself. I need your Holy Spirit. Help me to love others. Can we stand together? We'll respond in worship. As we're coming to the end of the book of Romans, next week will be chapter 16 and we're going to finish off. Some of us, we might be thinking like, oh, it's been a long book. And we were rushing through this, covering like a whole chapter in one week. There are some other churches, they, they go through Roman, they, they go through the whole book in four to five years, verse by verse. You're like, man, I could never do that. Thank the Lord I'm not part of those churches. <laughs> but the reason why I say that is because some of these things that Paul has been writing, I mean, everything's connected. And he's saying this and he's reminding us, repeating this for us, not because we don't know. I don't think there's anything that I've shared this morning that you don't know or that you have not heard before. But the challenge for us is, how much do we internalize it? How much do we believe it in our hearts? How much do we, how much do we embody it that even when we're not sitting here and saying, yes, Lord, this is what I need to do, that Monday morning, that's the same attitude that we have. 
When you're frustrated with your studies, that's the same attitude that you have. When you're frustrated by your boss or your colleagues, that's the same attitude. When, when you're fed up with your kids, with your family, it's the same attitude that you have. And that's what I want to challenge us with. That we don't just leave this room and this message thinking, oh, that was just another message that I heard that's the same thing as the rest of Romans. Because it is. But I want to believe that the Holy Spirit is going to work in us to say, God, I've really got to believe this to the depth, the bottom of my heart. That I will be forever changed and transformed by your word, by your spirit, by the things that you're doing in my life so that someone else can experience the same thing that I have. Can we just pray, brothers and sisters, can we pray and just ask God, Lord, help me to internalize this. Help me to believe this deep down inside. Work in me. You might, you might want to pray that prayer. Search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there's any grievous way, any wrong way, any, any offending way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Make that your prayer. Allow God to search and, and ask God that he would bring what we know in our minds and our heads down to our hearts so that we may live it out this coming week and for the rest of our lives. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.